morning, everybody. What a privilege to read this very beautiful part of scripture. We're reading from Romans 8, from verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, yes, thank you once again for um, that gift. And the offer is, is available for all those who would like to have a hold between 4am and 7am. Um, in particular, it would be very helpful. Friends, let me pray. I'll also pray for uh, our brother Bernie, um, who's recovering also from some surgery through the week. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the way in which it speaks to us, and we pray that you might do just that today, that though we may have dragged our feet in here today to church, that we might float out, understand the good news and the love that you have for us in Christ. Pray for our brother Bernie and all those known to us who are recovering or who are in the midst of hardship. We pray for your peace. And we pray that you might draw near to them as they draw near to you. Amen. Well, welcome to our final talk in our short series on <clears throat> mental health and well-being. And so far we've 
wrestled with addiction and last week anxiety and this week we will be wrestling with uh, depression. As I shared in the very first week, it's estimated that two in five or 40% or 10 million Australians will suffer from a mental health illness at some point in their life. And if for some reason Christians are so often expected to just have it all together or get it all together. Well, we've been trying to unravel some of these assumptions, some of these expectations that have accumulated around mental health in churches, actually, uh, throughout the decades and uh, amongst Christians. Friends, this series has undoubtedly dredged up some things for you if you've been listening. Undoubtedly, it's dredged up some things for you. But once again, I want to be clear that I'm not a health practitioner. I'm a preacher. Um, My job is not to assess or diagnose or treat mental illnesses. My job is to proclaim Christ. However, I really do want to honour those who suffer from depression, and so it's important that we seek to understand it as best we can. Um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the so-called Prince of Preachers himself, he suffered from depression, and he once said, we should feel more for the prisoner if we knew more about the prison. We should feel more for the prisoner if we knew more about the prison. And so that is exactly what we're going to do. But just a warning that there are no easy answers and there are certainly no quick fixes. So what is depression? And what is the difference? What's the difference between feeling depressed and experiencing depression? Well, straight from this is straight from beyondblue.org.au, which I can highly recommend um, as a resource. Beyondblue.org.au. For many people, feeling depressed can mean feeling sad, unhappy or low. These are natural, they're normal feelings even if they arrive without any warning or reason. Generally, these feelings will go away with time, your mood will lift, and you'll start to feel better. However, if you were sad and unmotivated for two weeks or longer, you stop enjoying the things that usually make you happy, you withdraw from friends and family, or feel empty or numb, it might be a sign that you're experiencing depression. And, of course, we know that there are several different types of depression uh, with symptoms ranging from relatively minor to extremely severe. No one really knows uh, what causes depression. Sometimes it can come out of nowhere for no good reason, but often it's attributed to a whole range of very unique factors. For example, prolonged stress or destabilising life changes or grief or loss, or chronic illnesses, or substance abuse. Even your personality, even your family history um, can be a factor. It's not simply a case of of a sort of chemical imbalance, although, for example, um, serotonin levels are often lower in those who suffer from depression, meaning our brains can't regulate our mood effectively. That's what's happening. In most cases, uh, it is treatable, though, and so... uh, It's worth reaching out, talking to someone about it. Uh, Your GP, for example, is a great place to start. Um, Your GP can put you on a mental health treatment plan, um, which I think actually uh, can provide you up to 20 subsidised psychologist appointments per year. Uh, Your GP can also make sort of initial assessments for medication and give referrals for further treatment. But before we move on, 
for those who do suffer from it, actually, for all of us, um, you, need me to, you need to hear me say this. Depression is not a sin. Depression is not a sin. It is a result of sin entering the world, but it is not a sin. If you do suffer from it, the guilt and the shame of thinking that somehow it is, is not yours to bear. And if you've been told that somehow it is, I'm sorry. Both our bodies and our minds are fallen. And so in the same way that last week we were reminded that an anxiety disorder is not a faith disorder, we need to be reminded that depression is not a sin. It's worth remembering too that depression is not unique to you. Uh, think of historical figures um, such as Martin Luther, um, these are Christians of course, Isaac Newton, William Cowper, prolific hymn writer, and of course um, Charles Spurgeon. Think also of biblical figures such as Job, David, um, Elijah, and uh, even Jesus himself. Depression is not unique to you, but you do experience it uniquely. Right? It's going to look and feel different for everyone. Now, once again, I don't want to spiritualise <clears throat> this very important topic. I don't want to spiritualise depression, unless you have spiritual depression. But I do want us to spend some time in Romans 8 because... It offers us hope, and I believe its heights matches the depths of depression. So in the face of whatever we may be feeling about ourselves, in the face of whatever we may be feeling about God, Romans 8 offers the truth as to who we are in Christ. You see, mental illness has this habit of defining us in a way that Jesus doesn't. You are not your illness. You are a beloved child of God. And Romans 8 is one of the most profound expressions of his love for you. And so it's good news. It's good news for all of us, right, whether you suffer from depression or not. So all we're going to do today is just remind ourselves of a, of a few truths, and then we're going to ask ourselves a few questions. There are so many, uh, too many jewels actually embedded in this text to prize each one. So I'm going to be rather selective, try not to overlap uh, too much with what Mike had to share last week about groaning well. So here is the first truth, comes from Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, ultimately there are no accidents. So Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God is working even in the flip of a coin. We are not at the mercy of fate. We're at the mercy of a loving God. And if God is working for our good in everything, then we see that both the good and the bad things serve the purpose of furthering the good in our life. As William Cowper, I mentioned, a prolific hymn writer, you will have sung his hymns before if you've not, met, if you've not heard of his name. 
He suffered from depression. He once wrote, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. It's a nice way of thinking about it. But what is that good? What can we confidently expect to see God doing in all things? What is that good? Well, verses 29 and 30 show us that God's definition of good is just so much greater. It's just so much higher than ours tends to be. And the word for at the beginning of these couple of verses shows the very, very close connection between verse 28 and verse 29. So what good is God working out in the circumstances of life? Here is the second truth. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The promise of verse 28, that, that magnificent verse of God working in all things for our good, is not a promise that everything will just work out for our good in just some general way. That's what it means if you pluck it from its context. But rather that everything is working together so that we will be conformed to the image of his son. It's so important to read these verses whenever we read verse 28. Paul is not promising us Christians a life free of trouble or hardship or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword, but rather that through all these things, all these things are used by God so that we become more like Christ. That was his plan. That is his purpose. And his purposes are like a chain. I went to the... Uh, might attend yesterday to pick up a, a length of chain um, for a swing, for a swing, not for anything else. And the guy pulled it out of a bucket and he just, you know, he used a, what do you call them? Bolt cutter, thank you. I'm very handy around the house, as you can tell. He used a bolt cutter to just cut off the length of chain I wanted, right? But this chain, this chain here cannot be broken. I've got an illustration of it here. This is the chain, right? You can't read all of that, that's fine. Just have the image of the chain. He foreknew us. God has lovingly chosen us before the creation of the world for eternal relationship with him. He also predestined us. God has predetermined our ultimate reality, our ultimate destiny to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. He also called us according to his purpose. God has drawn us to both hear and accept the good news of Jesus. He's also justified us. Through faith in Jesus, we're now declared right with God through his death and resurrection. And finally, did you notice he also glorified us? When Jesus returns, we will be eternally transformed into his glorious likeness. And by the way, to be glorified means that we'll be made perfect in both body and mind. But notice that here Paul speaks of our future glorification in the past tense. You see that? He speaks of our future glorification in our past tense. He's saying that it is as certain as any other part of that chain. It is so certain that it might as well have already have happened. You can't just get some bolt cutters and chop this one. It belongs together. And so although you may have fears about the future or pain in your past... 
remember what has been secured for you in your eternity. The links of this chain cannot be broken. They all go together. Paul asks, well, what then shall we say in response to these things? Well, having reminded ourselves of these truths, we're now going to ask ourselves some questions. In fact, the very questions that Paul himself asks in these verses. So here's the first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Third question, verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies The fourth question, verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And all these questions are really just versions of this final one in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, the experience of God's people throughout the ages has so often been to face death all day long, as he quotes there in Psalm 44. That's been the experience of God's people throughout the ages. But his point is that none can break the chain, that unbreakable chain. And so nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing in human experience, neither death nor life, in the spiritual realm, neither angels nor demons, in time, neither the present nor the future, in anything that opposes God, any powers, in space, neither height nor depth, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Chris Cipollone in his book, Down Not Out, which I'll recommend to you in just a little while. He writes this. He says, God loves us more than we could imagine. When we experience dark times and feel as though God doesn't care, we must come back to the fact that he has not even spared his own son in pursuit of us. Our identities are not as depressives or the anxious. We're not defined by bipolar or schizophrenia or addiction These may all be significant parts of our journey through life, but they are not at the core of who we are. Rather, we are beloved children of God. And this, more than any other truth, must impact how we navigate mental illness. But you ask, why then can Christians still experience anxiety and depression? Well, the simple answer is that we live in a broken world, right, with broken bodies and broken minds. We look forward to the day when he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But 
that day has not arrived. In the meantime, Paul doesn't say we're immune from trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. What he does say, however, that in the midst of all these things, we cannot be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, our feelings on any given day, in any given season of our lives, do not save us. He does. And our salvation is not dependent upon our ability to function how we would like. You know what the best news is for those who suffer from depression is? Christmas. That's the best news. Actually, we're going to be starting our Christmas preaching series from next week. It's that close to Christmas. I'm going to call it Great Expectations. But all the way in Matthew chapter 1, as Jesus' birth is announced, he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And yet, at the end of Matthew, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus can say this to his disciples. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. Friends, a biblical Jesus is not a stoic Jesus. He too wept. He too was sorrowful. Spurgeon wrote, The sympathy of Jesus is the next most more precious thing to us to thing to his sacrifice. The sympathy of Jesus is the next most precious thing to his sacrifice. And we take heart because he overcame this world. And he set his seal of ownership on us, giving us his spirit as a, as a guarantee, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So, for those who do suffer from uh, depression, and you will know uh, someone in your life that does, how can, you, how can they be faithful even though you may be afflicted. Well, first I want to say, don't give up on the spiritual disciplines. They are like crutches for your walk with God. They are like crutches for your walk with God. Pray. But know that if, even if you can't bring yourself to pray, the Spirit will do so on your behalf. How good is that? Pray the prayers of others. We sing the songs of other people. Why can't we pray the prayers of others? Second, seek help. Reach out to those whom you trust and love who can offer you support. See your GP. I've um, compiled a, a, a referral list of Christian psychologists sort of in southeast Queensland, if you're interested. You don't need to go to a Christian. I've also found uh, these two books to be very helpful. Um, Down Not Out by Chris Cipollone and Spurgeon's Sorrows by Zach Eswine, two very accessible books. I've got them here if you want to have a, a flick through them after the service. 
But finally, a word to those of us who do not suffer with depression. And this word comes from A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. It occurred to Pooh and Piglet that they hadn't heard from Eeyore for several days. And so they put in their hats and coats and trotted across the hundred-acre wood to Eeyore's stick house. Inside the house was Eeyore. Hello, Eeyore, said Pooh. Hello, Pooh. Hello, Piglet, said Eeyore in a glum-sounding voice. We just thought we'd check in on you, said Piglet, because we hadn't heard from you, and so we wanted to know if you were okay. And Eeyore was silent for a moment. Am I okay? he asked eventually. Well, I don't know, to be honest. Are any of us really okay? That's what I ask myself. All I can tell you, Pooh and Piglet, is that right now I feel rather sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, which is why I haven't bothered you. Because you wouldn't want to waste your time hanging out with someone who is sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, would you now? Pooh looked, and Piglet looked at Pooh. Pooh looked at Piglet, and Piglet looked at Pooh. And they both sat down, one on either side of Eeyore in his stick house. <clears throat> and Eeyore looked at them in surprise. What are you doing? We're sitting here with you, said Pooh, because we're your friends. And true friends don't care if someone is feeling sad or alone or not much fun to be around at all. True friends there for you anyway, and so here we are. Oh, said Eeyore. Oh. And the three of them sat there in silence. And while Pooh and Piglet said nothing at all, somehow almost imperceptibly, Eeyore started to feel a very tiny little bit better. Because Pooh and Piglet were there. No more, no less. Like Job's friends in the book of Job, it's often wise to say nothing. We're called to sit in the ashes and to weep with those who weep. That's what we're called to do. And to talk more to God about them than we talk to them about God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are your sons and your daughters. And that is at the core of who we are. And we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that unbreakable chain of hope that we can hold on to and that lifts us up in the darkest of times. We pray that we might be good friends to those who are suffering in one way or another from a mental illness of some sort. And we pray that we all might look to these truths and ask ourselves these questions. 
Jesus' name. Amen.